the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Who are these scholars uh, that, uh, let's say, uh, were influencers in the field of historical criticism of Islam, and what were their conclusions? Yeah, and it's important that we do this because this is what exactly what Schumacher does, and we've said this over and over again. One of the lovely things about his book is that he doesn't sit there and say, I claim, I claim, I claim, I believe, I believe, this is my experience, this is my experience. No, he's not, because he doesn't have the acumen, he doesn't have the wherewithal, he doesn't have the background, nor did he have the time to put to go and do all this research. He's taken the research from those who have spent their whole careers, people who know the languages, people like Hoyland, who knows uh, 18 languages, people like Patricia Krone, who knows 15 languages. They're the linguists who have gone back and actually read the documents the original documents. None of us are able to do I'm not capable, you're not capable. That's why we need to uh, we need to stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before. So almost everything that uh, that Shoemaker claims, he supports with this scholarship, with this academia. So let's look at some of the quotes that he does and let's bring in some of these some of these these scholars that he's talking about. And let's talk about first of all uh, the, the two that I'm going to bring up are Montgomery and Mount. Uh, this is what Montgomery has to say. And he talks about the fact that the Hijaz is just way too isolated for the Quran to have come from there. And this is what he says. The central Hijaz in the 7th century does not fit very well with the production of a text like the Quran. Tribal states of the Hijaz appear to have been non-literate as well as culturally insulated. And there is no evidence of any sufficient cultural contact between the peoples and civilizations of this region, that's the Hijaz, Mm -hmm. and the broader worlds of the Mediterranean, late antiquity, and Sassanian Iran, which you need to if you're going to make sense of this book called the Quran, because it's obvious that there's lots of interaction, cultural and theological, happening in this book. Munt also makes the same theme, but he talks more about Mecca and Yathrib, that they were nothing more than small oases at this time, just insignificant. And this is what Munt says. Mecca and Yathrib were some maybe 700 to 1,000 kilometers distant from even the borderlands of a cultural area separated by a vast and punishing desert. Both settlements had very small populations and possessed limited economic significance, providing little occasion or encouragement for broader contact and cultural integration with this region. Yathrib, which later became Medina, in the pre-Islamic period was not even a town, but little more than a small oasis comprising a somewhat looser collection of disparate settlements focused on 
the cultivation of dates. Which is still to this day, by the way. Oh, is that so? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you've I mean, been to the, Yathrib. You've the, been the to Medina. Medina and dates are known. I mean, very well known. Yeah. And much more today than back in the 7th yeah. century. Why? Because now it, it only had a limited amount of water. Today, now, all, with all the desalination plants, there are over 2 million people living in, in uh, Medina today. But not back then. Not just a few hundred. So that he goes on to say, so that it is hard to imagine that these caravans had any business there beyond perhaps acquiring some basic provisions before moving on to the next stop. So there you see two different scholars are very clear. Nothing, there's nothing significant. We, they're not even mentioning Mecca, you notice. They're just talking about Yathrib. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there is no reference to Mecca in any of this material. Let's go to Patricia Crone herself, because she is by far the, the really is the, the kingpin in this whole revisionist view. She is the one that's written about Mecca. She wrote an entire book on, on Mecca, looking and demanding and asking the same question. She really took on Montgomery Walk, on a walk on his whole trade route theory that I grew up with. I always heard about the trade route theory. Mm-hmm. That's why Mecca got its importance. And she shut that down with that book written in 1987, got a death threat from Muslims for writing that book, had to change her institution for from Cambridge down, I'm sorry, from Oxford to Cambridge because of that death threat. And let's, uh, that's why we, you have to pay attention when she speaks because she has put her life on the line for her research. Right. Now, what does she say? Well, she says very clearly that the trade dwindled uh, from Yathrib once the sea route was opened up. Although she actually even shuts that down because she says the sea route became important by the second century. Second century, everything went by, by maritime. For the same reason we go maritime today. It's the cheapest way to go. That's right. If you're going maritime, you don't have to worry about... Cheapest and fastest. It's the fastest. All you have is wind to blow your sails. You don't have to worry about uh, dacoits or thieves that are hiding behind sand dunes or rocks. Uh, you don't have to feed camels. You don't have to water them. Uh, you just really... Everything is... As cheap as you can get. And exactly. That's why we still do it even today. And the quickest way to deliver the merchandise as yes. well. And you can okay. see for miles ahead of you, if there's any ship that's going to attack you, you can be well prepared. You can't do that when you're on land. And she, she, made, uh, she even made that statement that if you take a ton of goods and just go 50 miles by land, just 50 miles, it costs the same amount as 1,250 miles by sea. There you go. Obviously, it's the cheapest. So that's why she shut down the, any notion that anything went through a place called Mecca. And she says this, once trade from South Arabia switched to sea transit, when she's talking about South Arabia, she's talking about Aden, mm-hmm. Aden on the, on the Arabian Sea. That's right. So switched to sea transit around the first century. So she, I was wrong. I said second, it's actually first century. It is hard to believe that any overland route that may have passed through Yathrib survived this competition for long. Notice she doesn't use Mecca there. No one's talking about Mecca. Only Yathrib, because Yathrib is referred to. We have references to it. Taif is referred to. We have reference right. for it. Najran, Sana, Aiden, these are all referred to. We have references for those towns. They're all oasis along the western plateau. No reference to Mecca. But and she researched that herself. Yeah. And we're just talking about Yathrib now, okay? So that's Patricia Crone. What about Haunting and Wandsboro? Now, you can't get bigger names than that. Wandsboro is the father of visionism. Haunting is the one that did his book uh, there on the first century of Islam. So he has, he has gone back to that century, back to the 7th to the 8th century, from 622 up to 719 uh, AD. And he says, let's look and see what we see there. So you, you have to trust him. That's why Shoemaker quotes him. And he says very clearly, both Hotting and Wandsburg, both of them are very clear there were no Jews that far south. So this is what he says. Ironically, the Jewish community of Yathrib is never mentioned even once in any Jewish source from antiquity. 
or any source outside the Islamic traditions for that matter. The Jews of late ancient Rome and Mesopotamia thus seem to have been completely unaware even of this community's existence. There is no reference. Hawking goes on to say there is not one reference of any Jews from a place called Yathrib, let alone Medina. Uh, sorry, let alone Mecca. Uh, because for one very good reason, just look at a map and you can see so why. So they were north. They were where the trade was. Yes. They were where the cities were. They were where the commerce was. You go where the commerce is. You don't go to a hamlet of a few hundred where there's nothing happening. Right. So that's why there are no Jews that far south. Yet when you look at the traditions, you have three complete big tribes. The Banu Koraiza, the Banu Nadia, the Banu Kainuka tribe. These are huge tribes that have been there for hundreds of years. And they dominated the trade. That's why Muhammad had to go right. there to arbitrate between them and the Ansar. If that was the case, they have been there. They outnumbered. Uh, one of your one of the fellows that came on your program, I'm not going to say what his name was, he quoted ten to 12,000 Jews living in Yathrib at this time. He's reliant on the standard Islamic narrative. When and I that. sat there and I went, ay, ay, ay. I would love to ask him where he got that source from. Well, it's obviously he's going to standard Islamic narrative. Right, right. So you can't do it both ways. You can't do it out of two years. Uh, you can't speak out of both sides of your mouth. You've got to either go with where the evidence is or you're going to sit and listen, listen to the standard Islamic narrative. If you want to go with the SIN, go with the SIN, but you're going to die with sin. And therefore, let's make sure we don't die with sin. Let's keep to our goals and let's keep to what the rocks say. And if we're not going to cry out, the rocks will cry out for us. So that's Haunting and Wandsburg. Let's go to Hoyland because Hoyland is the one that really does, he is the mother load of what's happening in the 7th century. Now, he says very clearly that there are Jews are either in the north or they're in the south. And you've said this many times. I've heard you quote this. The Jews are only in the north, they're only in the south because that's where the water is. That's where, that's where the cities are. That's where the people are. You only have Jews where there are people. The same way with Christians. You only have the discussion where there are Jews and Christians. So let's quote him. And we have extra Islamic sources that confirm their presence south and north as well. Yeah. So he says this, the only Jewish material that we can find are a few inscriptions from the broader region that confirms some degree of Jewish presence, although these are all from the far north of the Hijaz, that is from Tabuk and further north, or the uh, Gulf of Aqaba and further north, or South Arabia, which would be Yemen today and Oman. That area is called the Hadramat at that time. Right, Hadramat, and still called Hadramat today. So you can see Hoyland is very clear. Wandsboro, Hotting, Hoyland, Crone, uh, Bunt, and uh, everyone in Montgomery, every one of these are very clear that there are no Jews. There is just nothing happening in the Hijaz. So Shoemaker comes to this uh, conclusion, and he talks about the the, 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 the Sepharis, and he says, the absence of Christianity from the Hijaz also affords yet another telling sign of the region's disconnects from the surrounding cultures. What's more, there are fundamental problems in reconciling the environmental conditions implied by parts of the Quran with the barren and inland location of Mecca in Yathrib. Its frequent references to seafaring and farming suggest a very different context. Wonderful. Next time, uh, you said we are going to at least put the spotlight again on a surprising uh, conclusion by Shoemaker? Absolutely. I'm going to sit there, and maybe I hope he was watching. I want to see what Shoemaker does, because I'm going to ask him a specific question. If this is what you believe, if this is what you're saying, if these are all what the quotes are saying, then why in the world did you come to the conclusion you came to? Yeah, and I would love really uh, to extend an invitation to Dr. Shoemaker maybe to join us on a live stream if he is uh, willing to do so. Uh, so maybe uh, he can uh, share the rationale uh, behind any of his conclusions. But we haven't said what that is yet. 
Right. Uh, what I'm saying right. is, gonna have to wait uh, till it will the, be the good uh, to have him, hopefully in the future, uh, to interact with us about uh, these conclusions that we've been sharing, and we will be sharing as well uh, in the next episode. Uh, so, thank you as always. Thank you, everyone. This is Al Fadi. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Despite all of what was mentioned in the book, despite all of what these scholars have said, despite what we know, it seemed like there is a surprising conclusion that was reached by Dr. Shoemaker, which we will be putting the spotlight on this today. Again, we're doing it in the spirit of just peer review, in the spirit of just academia. Uh, we don't have an agenda, myself and Dr. J. And we're hoping that Dr. Shoemaker is either watching uh, these episodes or maybe uh, at some point in the future to be willing to interact with us. We would love to have him. We'll be honored to interact with him and maybe we'll hear from him directly about some of these conclusions. So, Dr. J., what are we talking about here? Well, this is a, a tr- in some ways, it's a curious, I don't know if I want to call it troubling. That's maybe not, that's not the right word. But this is a common occurrence that we see right across the board. It's not just shoemakers saying this. Others do the same thing. And I'm, I'm curious as to why. What am I talking about? The, the last few episodes, you've noticed we've been talking about the Hijaz. We've been talking about Mecca, Medina. And over and over again, you're getting the same narrative, the same historical perspective from the historians themselves who have done all the research. And that is that there's no way that this book, the Quran, could have existed down in the Hijaz. Uh, Neuwirth saying that there is not the sophistication of theology that far south. Uh, we have Hoyland who's saying there are no Jews. Hotting says much the same thing. There are no Christians that far south for in order to have these kind of discussions that would that are just pervasive right through the Quran. Uh, we have reference after reference of people who are saying there is no there are large populations down there, maybe a few hundred in each one of these hamlets. They're not even talking about Mecca. In fact, you notice they stay away from Mecca. They don't even mention it. They're talking about Yathrib, and they're zeroing in on Yathrib because the last 10 years of his ministry were in Yathrib. Uh, the, and the, the, uh, the Medinan surahs, as we call it, the very first part of the cross, if you take the cross and split it in half, this part, the first half is called Medinan. This is called Mecca. Some are in each, you're correct, but by and large, this would be the, what was revealed to him uh, from 622 to 632 in right. a place called Medina, what is then called Yathrib. And they're looking at Yathrib and saying, this could not have in, this could not have accommodated this kind of text. Wandsbrook came out in 1977 with that thought in 1978 with two books called Chronic Studies and Sectary Milieu. And he blew the, the, this whole notion open. You cannot have these discussions. You cannot have this literature. You cannot have all these borrowings which we're going to get into, the source material, from that far south. They just didn't exist that far south. Why? Because there were no Jews, there were no Christians that far south. Why? Because there was no water, there was no trade, there was no population, there were no cities. There was nothing for Jews and Christians to go to. Why would you go to a desert where there's a few hamlets and all they're selling is dates, right? Right. So Shoemaker is making this point. He's giving these quotes and he's putting forth their arguments so so that he can come to his conclusions. So here he comes in page 233, so 233. And just to warn you, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. Yeah, please okay. do. Yeah, go ahead. So you be shoemaker right now. I'll be shoemaker. Okay, yeah. 
Stephen, why in the world on page 233 you say this? These Quranic traditions were formed in early Islamic Syro-Palestinia and Mesopotamia. Where is that, Stephen? Syro-Palestine and Mesopotamia is where? Well, that's north. North, okay. Right. So way up north, like a thousand miles up further north, right? Right. And it was these northern areas, you even said so, these northern areas which exerted an influence on the final text of the Quran at least equal to, if not even greater than, the cultural traditions of the 7th century Hejaz. These would include the traditions of Jesus' nativity, nativity uh, those of Alexander the Great, Dual Quranine in chapter 18 of the Quran, which almost certainly derived from a post-Hijazi context way up north. So you're saying that, you know, we agree with it, no one's having a problem with it, you're quoting all the other scholars to support and to back you up. Then why do you say what you say next? On the same page, in the same next paragraph, look at what you say. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, there is a high degree of probability, I think, that at least some and perhaps much much, so most of the Quran, contact was inspired by Muhammad's preaching in the Hijaz during the early 7th century. This has not to say that we have any of the actual words that he taught in the Quran. So you have nothing to show for this. You're just making this summation. You're coming to this conclusion. You have nothing to show for it, but you're still putting him down there in the Hijaz. Even traditions that possibly originated with Muhammad himself must be recognized in their present form as effectively new compositions produced on the basis of his ideas by his later followers in the newly conquered territories of the Roman Roman. So you're even admitting in that paragraph that we don't really know how much of it. We, we, we just know that much of the Quran comes from that. Come, tell me how you can come to that that's conclusion. A, that, that's a good question. But here, it's, as a scholar, okay, as a scholar, my job is to report what other scholars are saying, make conclusions based on what. I know is possibly supported. But when it comes to Muhammad, there is this great possibility that, yes, we don't have a whole lot of tangible evidence to support the existence of this character in the 7th century. But traditionally speaking, looks like there has been some material that survived, maybe even orally, to support the existence of a person. Can you give me an example? What if? Well, well I mean, uh, you have the, example. the you have the hadith, you have the sirah, oh, the narration. Just the one that just said in the last just a episode. Second, just a second. That doesn't appear. You're to asking me to defend myself, right? So I'm, I'm telling you, yeah. uh, as a shoemaker, how I would be thinking. As a scholar, I want to really put my hand on tangible things to confirm that maybe Muhammad didn't exist, or at least. This character didn't exist down south. For now, I'm not convinced as much. What if the theory is this? I'm telling you, things originated north. But wasn't there a political split in the north that caused some to migrate south and reinvent a new empire? What if they're the one who brought with them all of that and created this character? Can you support there? that? Is there anything that showed you, or well, are you just saying you know, this off the top of your head? To, well, d- to you, finish you, used, you used this claim many times right, when it right came to the you. Black Stone, uh, the destruction of the Kaaba, the rebuilding of the Kaaba and south. And what are the dates for that? What I'm saying is— That's late 7th century. What it, well— Based on what? 687. Based on what are you using? Oh, no, no, this? I'm not even talking about the tradition for that. That's right. well known outside. Okay, we I'm, know I'm the just Black saying, Stone. It goes right back you to reached that conclusion based on that. I'm okay. trying to tell you this is how I am processing my own But you, what thing. you've done, you've done two things simultaneously. You have not come as up with scholar, evidence. As a scholar, you have to approach as it As a scholar, way. you haven't shown me any evidence outside the yeah. traditional account. Well, you know. That's not scholarly. The book is still open on this, No, right? it isn't. You've just closed it down because you have yourself has said you can't trust the tradition. Can you find a single document like this that collaborate the lack of existence of Muhammad so far. Absolutely. This one is attacking the Quran already. 
because there is a lot of evidence to do so. <laughs> Robert Spencer has always shut that one down. That's a document I have it right here in my bag. I can show it to you. But let me just put this throat as a devil advocate back to you again. Let's just use that same criteria you've just used, and let's do it on the traditions of Jesus Christ. Let's look, go to the Gnostic accounts of Jesus Christ, which come from the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th century, that say that Jesus was a liar, that he actually killed people, that when he was growing up, he was devious. Let's just use that and say that's probably more authoritative because it's more, it fits what you would think about person would be. Let's then let go to the Gnostic accounts and not go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from the first century. Why don't we use the Gnostic accounts to support who well, Jesus is? I mean, was? I wouldn't even use the Gnostic account. John of Damascus himself was talking about a person. You're not answering my question about Jesus right now. Why don't we go to the Gnostic accounts? Using your criteria, the later accounts are more authoritative than the earlier accounts. No, Let's no, no, no. That. We're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about Muhammad right I'm now. I'm putting, I'm using you as a Christian. I'm going to take the same the, criteria The you information used, that you have Jesus. about Jesus is no. you have tangible evidence that existed Thank you. earlier. Now, Thank you. let's use John you of Damascus. You have no tangible instance. Answer my question. You haven't finished. You have no John of Damascus. Instance. You have no tangible instance that shows that Muhammad well, I, existed y- in the You haven't answered my question. Why would John of Damascus in the 8th century talk about a person who created a religion called Islam and mocks that person? Yes, Where did he get that information from? Well, he got that from Abdul Malik. He got that from Al-Hajjaj, who were writing in So he's talking about someone that existed. Absolutely. He wasn't right. talking about someone that was living in his time. Okay. Look at look yeah. at Who is the Muhammad he's talking about? He is a man who's in Jerusalem. Okay. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But there was a You're character. You're making my point for me. There was a You're character. You're interrupting me now. Shut up for a while. Muhammad. Let me finish this. Okay. You're well, talking about the, the one that John That's ad hominem that we just did right now. Yes, that is. You're right. And I stand accused. <laughs> Can you see right here that even John Damascus, writing in 730, so that's the 8th century, he's talking about a Muhammad, but who is that Muhammad? He's Mahmut, which is the Persian spelling of his name, which means he's from Iraq. More than that, we're speculating. Notice, could you let me finish? Can you realize that that Muhammad he's referring to, he has four different Qurans, four different uh, references, the cow, the the woman, and the camel, which doesn't even exist in the Quran. It's not even a Quran that we know about. And also that Muhammad, if you look and see the references in the 7th century to him, he is in Jerusalem, he also is in Gaza, he is in Damascus, and he's in Hira. None of these are in the Hijaz. John of you just made my point. John of Damascus said all of that? No, these are the Muhammads that he's referring to. These are all the references to Muhammad yeah, but, in the 7th but, century. But we are speculating. I'm giving you evidence. I'm giving you no speculation here. Well, Hoyland never uh, talked about these things, even though he collected a lot of evidence. Hoyland actually has every one of these that I've just quoted. He but he never made the claim that there are multiple Muhammads. No, he said the doctrine. No, you notice what Hoyland does. He even calls them Muslim, where there's no reference to any word called Muslim that early. But here's what's fascinating. You have tried to come back and say that you can't, that John of Damascus used a man named Muhammad. In the 8th century, there's no problem. I have no difficulty so by 730. He's talking about someone that I'm existed. I'm talking about in the 7th century. Where is that Muhammad? But he talked about someone that existed. Those in the Hijaz? Survive, well, Did John of Damascus say It Hijaz? doesn't matter where he existed. Right there, right there, at least Shoemaker is making the claim that someone by the name Muhammad no, existed. No, Shoemaker is putting him in the Hijaz. Some, well, it doesn't matter. You haven't answered we my have question. We have shut down the Hijaz. How is it okay? that he can be in the Hijaz? Answer my question. Well, you can make any claim about Muhammad until we have tangible evidence to support the fact that a person by that name physically existed <laughs> north who was the prophet of a religion have called Islam. Have you seen Islam. what's happened here? Yeah. Have you noticed 
as much as he has tried to support Shoemaker's case, can you see the difficulty that there, all the Shoemakers of the world, and I don't want to just talk about Shoemaker, anybody that claims that this man, Muhammad, came from the Hijaz, came from Mecca, Medina, you're going to have to put him down there and support it. So far, the only references he has come to are an 8th century reference, but he has also pointed to the 7th century references that Hoyland does refer to, Nikio, the Doctrine of Jacobi, uh, also uh, the writings of Sabaeus. time, by the way. And those are all way up north. Mike, exactly my point. They're all up in the north. What are we going to talk about next? Are we going to continue this? Actually, we're going to go into the Quran itself, and we're going to confront this claim, Is has it ever been changed? What was his, uh, I'll be interested in his conclusion about the Quran itself, beside those conclusions. I'm going to talk about what D says, Guillaume D, but that's, we're running out of time, let's continue. Guillaume D confronts this, and he makes this confrontation. He said, Shoemaker says in the very next paragraph, that there is little doubt concerning a number of basic facts about Muhammad's prophetic cure. And then he goes and lists them. He says, how can this be? He's, he's kind of pulling his hair out. How can he make one reference saying none of this, there, nothing could happen this far south, and then just say, well, Muhammad was from this place. He's coming up with the same conclusion I'm coming up. He's in France saying this. I'm here in the United States. Fair enough. Everybody, uh, stay tuned until next time. Until then, have a blessed day. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.